What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Piquel today on The Hard Count. We're going to talk about everything from this past weekend, everything that has to do with the wild world of college football, and we are so glad you're here. This is, in fact, The Hard Count, the people show. For every single thing that you know and that you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake doesn't have lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. Wow, it feels good to be in here talking about a real college football game. Not just rankings or lists or speculation or what may happen. We're going to talk about what actually did happen on the field yesterday in Ireland. Going to talk about the Texas A&M QB1 reveal. Haynes King is the guy down there in College Station. Going to unpack all that and what that means for the Aggies. Going to talk about Michigan as they said, hey, we're going to let this thing play out a little bit longer. Jim Harbaugh says, what's better than one quarterback? Two quarterbacks. We're going to let them battle it out. I need to see it in a game. Also going to talk about Brew McCoy and the fact that he is now eligible for Tennessee. I think that is a big deal for the Vols. I think that's going to be something that they look for on offense and will ultimately be a big variable for them on offense when it comes to the success that they have this coming season and also Hennon Hooker's Heisman campaign. But golly, waking up yesterday morning, jumping on Twitter spaces, about 100 of you jumped in there with us. We're going to keep doing that on game day mornings. It just felt good to know that there was college football being played. Posed a question to the Twitter space and said, what do you do on your college football Saturdays? That's specific to you. That maybe just signifies to you, hey, college football is back. For me, it's Chick-fil-A breakfast. I've told you I am a caffeine addict. So every single morning, other than college football Saturday, starts with a caffeine pill. Not the case. Like I said, yesterday morning, wake up, jump on spaces. Then I go to Chick-fil-A, get Chick-fil-A breakfast, little breakfast burrito, get the iced coffee going. So we still get our caffeine intake there. But bottom line, it's like seeing an old friend. Welcome back, college football. Like I mentioned, the game that we got to talk about, Nebraska and Northwestern played yesterday in Ireland and we have to react to the whole game. We already have a video out on this channel sort of giving you our, uh, our Nebraska angle, if you will, and what this means for them and Scott Frost. Still going to talk about that, but this game as a whole was really a tale of two halves. Nebraska had them on the ropes early and then blow that lead and end up trailing into the, into the second half, I should say. And they flashed a stat across the screen, said, Scott Frost, 3-20 when trailing at half. And so for me, watching this game, believing again wholeheartedly that Nebraska still had the momentum, still had a chance to win the game, still felt like they had the better offense and would be able to create and put the pressure on them. I'm like, okay, great. Make a note of that. When they win this game, changing on the tide. That's going to change the whole complexion, the whole belief around Nebraska, right? Hey, they were trailing, right? Only won three games before in Scott Frost's time at Nebraska and they get it done in Ireland. Not the case. Not the case. Some of the things that I was watching during this game that gave me some insight as to how this thing was going to play out down the stretch, I really like to watch both sides of the line of scrimmage. So who's getting a push? Who's able to kind of dictate their tempo to the other program, more or less, the other defensive line or offensive line, whatever it is? And we can say emphatically, not just by watching the tape, looking at the numbers, Northwestern dominated. Both lines of scrimmage. I mean, you watch Ryan Helensky back there throwing the ball. He had all day. I was a Pop Warner quarterback. I probably could have gotten the ball off a couple of times against that Nebraska front seven. 
And some of it's a testament to Northwestern because they had four or five guys coming back, had their tight end back, so they have some experience and some guys that are going to play on Sundays on that line. But for Nebraska, that was one of the things that I was expecting from them was to get a better push up front. Ocha Mathis, Stefan Wynn, guys that have played at a high level before. To not be able to even bother Ryan Halinski was a big deal in the past game. And then in the run game, Northwestern had two guys in Evan Hole and Porter that went for nearly 100 yards. Hole did go over 100 yards. They both were right around four and a half, five yards a clip. And so for Northwestern, they just continued to pound the rock, and Nebraska just didn't have an answer. Now, what I was encouraged by early on, at least for Nebraska, was the way they got out of the gate. Trey Palmer looked like, at times, the best player on the field for either program. Like, he's a guy that, regardless of how Nebraska season goes the rest of the way, they need to spoon-feed him the football. Mark Whipple's offense, early on, looked pretty sharp. Casey Thompson making quick reads, getting the ball out of his hand. Early on, he really didn't miss too much. There was that one errant throw towards the end of the half, and then, obviously, the, the throw to end the game that was just... I mean, you have to check the Nebraska plane for snakes because of the way that that ball bounced off his receiver's hands and perfectly into Northwestern's linebacker's hands. I mean, that was just one where you're like, golly, golly, can we catch a break if we're in Nebraska? But other than that, I was like, Casey Thompson looks good. Casey Thompson looks about as advertised. Looked poised, looked like he had command of the offense for the most part. So the transfers offensively were gelling. Anthony Grant ripped off a run to put him up by 11 in the third quarter where you thought, okay, starting to lean, lean, lean Nebraska. But credit to Scott, excuse me, credit to, well, credit to Scott Frost for the way they played in the first half, I suppose, a little bit and still end up trailing. But what I was going to say was credit to Pat Fitzgerald and his program. Because what I think you saw yesterday was a team taking on the persona of their head coach, Northwestern, all offseason. They're hearing about, wow, the offense was bad. Defense took a big step back. What's going on at Northwestern? We're not used to this from Pat Fitzgerald and company. What do they do? Just listen to it all offseason. They take it in. They absorb it. Go through spring ball. Go through fall camp. Keep it all in-house. Show up in Ireland. Do their thing. No flinch. That's the best way I would describe Pat Fitzgerald. No flinch in him or his program. To go into Ireland and be a two-score underdog and take care of business in the fashion that they did, you're up at half. Then you get pushed back down, down by 11, recover an onside kick. You have the opportunity to seize momentum, and they did. And we talked about it a little bit from Nebraska's point of view, but everybody today on Twitter is going to try and win the, the headline, win the meme, win the gif, whatever it is. I've seen the, the meme about Scott Frost with the McDonald's hat for his next job, and I think that's poor form, whatever you want to call it. But if Nebraska recovers that onside kick, if they execute that onside kick, how much more differently is the conversation today about Nebraska? And I know they didn't recover it, but ultimately, the pressure's still on your defense. The pressure is still on your program to find a way to get a stop. Okay, you got a short field, now what? You don't get a perfect set of circumstances in football. The most imperfect game in the world. Got to find a way to get it done. But going back to what I was saying about what if they do recover that, well, then you're talking about Scott Frost's wow, gutsy play. Gutsy play, but good for him and his football team, realizing they had him on the ropes and they had to finish the game good for them. And honestly, as a former player, I'll even take this a step further. As someone who was watching Nebraska 
and borderline rooting for Nebraska by the nature of just the storylines that have gone on in Nebraska, just because of the way that honestly things have gone for Scott Frost and just you feel for Nebraska. Maybe rooting is the wrong word, but feeling for Nebraska and almost wanting them to get over the hump because I think that's good for college football. I didn't hate that call. I didn't hate that he kicked an onside kick. Now you hate the result. You hate the risk. You hate the fact that it was probably a little bit unnecessary. But when he explained it post-game, and even in watching it real-time, I'm saying, okay, here's a guy who, again, a program that we've talked about all off-season, got to have the killer instinct, got to find a way to get it done, got to find a way to finish teams off when they're on the ropes. Perfect example. You got them on the ropes. You're up 11. If you recover that onside kick, go up 18 points, Northwestern isn't able to just sit there and run the football like they want to and like they did to end that game. Northwestern strategy completely changes. And I think that could potentially have favored Nebraska a little bit. That was also evident. Northwestern was just the better coach team. We'll call it what it is. Holinsky was on fire, especially in the early going, especially when he had no rush. And Nebraska's defense was still trying to figure it out. You saw that busted coverage early in the game that, again, gave some more life to Northwestern. Stuff like that that just can't happen. And some of it, you say, is week zero. Some of it is jet lag. Some of it is new faces on your defense. But that can't happen. That can't be the way that you lose football games. It can't be self-inflicted. And that's the reason why I think you're getting so much pushback on Scott Frost this year, especially after this game, is it felt self-inflicted. And even though I don't hit the onside kick call, you still have to deal with the reality of the fact that, hey, you called an onside kick up 11 when you could have kicked it away and played defense, and now we're having this conversation after a blown lead loss. You have to deal with that. You have to live with that. If they kick it away and maybe Northwestern still goes the distance or get an explosive play and they still win the game, I mean, you roll with it, I suppose, but it's a much I'm not even going to say it's easier conversation. We're not talking about an onside kick and questioning Scott Frost quite as much. Because remember, he passed play calling duties to Mark Whipple. And there was some conversation about, hey, we might need more cooperation on that side. I'm not too worried about that. It's week zero. You're going to have some kinks worked out when your head coach used to call plays and he's passed that responsibility off to another human being. And obviously that's hard to admit your fault and honestly fire yourself as the OC. That's hard. So there's some pride there that needs to probably be worked out but ultimately I think there's a lot to be encouraged about by Nebraska but the game to end the way it did just rips your heart out rips your heart out if you're Nebraska if you're Northwestern I'm excited to watch them the rest of the year tough team ran the ball Ryan Holinsky looks to have turned over a new leaf it's week zero we're not going to overreact too much but Northwestern is going to be a force at the very least, to be reckoned with. Are they going to win the Big Ten West? I don't know if that's even a conversation we need to have right now, but Northwestern is going to be a tough out no matter who they're playing going forward. So what does this mean for Nebraska? We talked about it a little bit in our earlier video, so go check that out if you haven't. I'm going to touch on it a little bit right now. Now you have to deal with all the conversation of, is Scott Frost going to be our head coach next week? I mean, are they going to fire him? If we lose to Oklahoma, is he out? How long do they? I mean, the, the buyout goes down in October. Is he fired by October? It's unfortunate, but you put yourself here, right? It's unfortunate that you now have to deal with this in your locker room, but you put yourself here. In some way, you expedite finding out what you're made of at Nebraska. Because now with all the external things swirling around, all the headlines, all the whispers, all the things that are going to try and seep into this locker room in a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, who live and die by how their Cornhuskers do on Saturday, you can't avoid those headlines. Now that locker room finds out, okay, 
Is this pressure going to cause us to burst, break apart, start pointing fingers, lose our confidence, lose our head? Or do we say, no, forget that. We were up 11 points, a game we should have won. We have 11 ball games in front of us. We have Oklahoma here coming into town pretty soon. Two games in front of us we should win. Stakes go way up, but hey, boys, we got to flush that because we got a whole season to play. That's the approach you would hope they play. That's the approach you would hope they come to the table with. We're going to find out, though. Unfortunate, though, for Nebraska. Cannot say enough good things about Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald as they win that game in Ireland, going to foreign soil and winning that game 31-28. to Tough out for Nebraska. Big time showing by Northwestern. So as we move right along here, it is QB1 reveal season. All over the country, you're seeing the social media graphics go up. You're seeing coaches talk about it in press conferences. And one of the main places we were watching most closely was Texas A&M down there in College Station. I used to work at that uh, local affiliate, KBTX, so shout out KBTX. But they love their Aggies down there. And you don't have to have lived in College Station to know that. And obviously, with all of the money they paid Jimbo, all the things they've done recruiting-wise, there's a lot of excitement around, around College Station right now, around their Aggies. And that excitement is only going to continue to climb as they named Haynes King their starting quarterback. So this is what that says to me. Haynes King, who beat out Max Johnson, the LSU transfer, who in some ways was the higher floor option, Haynes King must have done enough in fall camp to give this staff confidence that he is going to be a good decision maker and take care of the football. Because that's always been my knock on Haynes King. And again, it's a small sample size. You can talk about how fair or unfair it is. I'm not really here to talk about that. But in a small sample size, turnovers have been a thing for him dating back to high school. And so with all the pieces you have on this offense, Devon Chain, Evan Stewart is allegedly him. Anaya Smith is a playmaker of elite caliber. Of all of the weapons you have on this offense, if you have somebody driving the car that's going to crash, who's going to turn the ball over, well, then you have issues. So with that being said, again, Haynes King must have put enough positive things on tape in fall camp to give Jimbo Fisher enough confidence to say, no, this is the guy that gives us the best chance to win. Now, the excitement with him is he is a freakish athlete. Like, your quarterback may be the best athlete on the field. And that's, again, with Evan Stewart on the field, with Devon A-Chain, who's a NCAA world-class sprinter. Like, he, like Devon A-Chain is scary fast. And he says, hey, when we're doing sprints, yeah, I'm winning most of the sprints from Devon A-Chain, but I'm looking next to me, and Haynes King is, is right in my hip pocket. Like, dude is real deal fast. One of the top three times on the catapult, which is sort of a device that tracks your real-time speed during practice and games. They had him tracked as, I think it was 22 miles per hour. He, he was top three on the team in terms of speed during the spring uh, session for, for AM. So all that's to say, you have a whole new element with this offense of what he brings to the table running the football. Now, as a defense, yes, you have to prepare for these freak show wide receivers. You have to prepare for A-chain. You have to prepare for what they're going to do vertically throwing the football. However, you also have to prepare for a quarterback that if you don't fill your assignment correctly, if you rotate too far over as that linebacker, as that safety, and, and you get caught running with the flow too much, and that quarterback pulls it, 
well, you don't get to recover and try and flick back and make that tackle because he's already 10 yards downfield and probably close to the end zone. So that element for Texas A&M makes them even more dangerous. It makes A&M dangerous. It makes this team a force to be reckoned with on the national landscape if it works. It's a very big if. If this works in the way that I think A&M is planning on it working, they're going to be a force nationally. And Desmond Howard on college game day came out and said, yep, I got A&M in my playoff. And everyone at home on Twitter is tweeting about it and saying, oh, that's so crazy. Desmond Howard has him in the playoff. That's crazy. Then he says, I have Texas A&M winning my national championship. We're not here to talk about that. But I think it just says, okay, you got someone in the national spotlight on one of the biggest stages in college football national media and the institution that is college game day, and he picks A&M. Also, should be noted, he didn't, to my understanding, have insight as to who the starting quarterback was going to be. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, there are so many pieces on this team at Texas A&M. Haynes King is driving a Ferrari. You look at the defense. Defense is going to keep him in every single game. Can Haynes King be the reason why they win games? Even more so, can he be the reason why they don't lose games? Can he, can he keep from being that guy that makes the crucial turnover in the fourth quarter? Can he, can he keep him on schedule? Can you get the ball to the playmakers? Those are things that I'm watching for for Haynes King. Because with his history of turnovers, yes, he's the guy that you're going with going forward. But I say this with other quarterback battles as well. Is it, uh, okay, yes, you're our starting quarterback, and we're going to stick with you through the ups and the downs? Or is it, you're our starting quarterback for game one. Don't crash the car, kid. We got two other guys that we feel pretty good about as well with Max Johnson and Connor Wegman, who's nipping at those guys' heels. And Max Johnson and Haynes King is Connor Wegman. I mean, guy that they feel really excited about going forward is the future in College Station. Because if you turn the ball over a lot of the quarterback position, especially with the ceiling that AM has, I don't get the sense that Jimbo's going to put up with that. And if he does, he's not going to put up with it for very long. Haynes King can't be the reason why they lose football games. But again, going back to what he brings to the table, I think he's the reason, or excuse me, I think his high ceiling is the reason with why you play him game one. So we'll see what happens. They're going to have a little bit of a test with Miami in game three at home. That's, I think, where we find out a lot about Haynes King and what he has under the hood. So Haynes King is quarterback one at Texas A&M. A decision has been made by Jimbo Fisher in College Station. We're going to see what happens, but... Dude is a freak athlete. A&M has got some juice now at the quarterback position. Excited about that. I mean, A&M is a team that we've talked about for a long time as being so close. Vegas has them at eight and a half wins. I have them at eight and four and got a lot of heat for that. I still think they're probably a year away. But if Haynes King is that dude, like if you hit on quarterback at Haynes King, sky's the limit for A&M because they got pieces all over the place, as we've said, at nauseum now. Moving on to another QB1 reveal during QB1 reveal season. Michigan sort of looked at the two options and said, okay, we got option A and Cade McNamara. We got option B and J.J. McCarthy. Well, guess what? We pick both. Option C, Jim Harbaugh just sort of Kobayashi marooned the whole thing. If you watch the office, just kind of cut it down the middle, said, no, we're going to let them go into the regular season. Wasn't a huge shock for people close to that program that he's not deciding it just yet. And quite frankly, his schedule allows him some time to figure out who gives them the best chance forward. Now, he said Cade McNamara is going to start week one. J.J. McCarthy 
It's going to start week two. We'll decide who's going to start, who's going to be our starter in week three. And so ultimately, like I said, the luxury for Michigan is that you have the ability to do this, that you don't play someone like Notre Dame week one, that you don't play someone that you're super worried about. That's no disrespect to Colorado. That's no disrespect to Hawaii. And I want to make this clear as well. Either of these teams, just given the nature of the beautiful thing that is college football, if they put pressure on them, if they squeeze them a little bit, we may get an answer to this quarterback race before week three. But all that's to say, they feel good about going forward with either guy, starting the games. And it's fascinating to me that they're going to go forward with, with, with this. But even more so, I think it's fascinating the way that Jim Harbaugh is approaching this, saying, I need to see it in a game. I need to see it in a game-like scenario. In one hand, I'm sitting there saying, well, haven't you been simulating game scenarios for the last however many months? Isn't that what you did in spring ball? Isn't that what you, what you did in fall camp? That's one thought. Then you also say, well, that makes sense because it's hard to simulate what it's like running out there in the big house in front of however many thousand fans in a game that really matters. He said he's going to look at points per drive, what they do with the offense in terms of can we score points? Not just can you make a good throw? Can you deliver the ball where it needs to be? Because if you, you can be perfect on your assignments, but if you don't score any points, well, then I can't play you at quarterback, right? I mean, if the offense isn't doing what it's supposed to do, we got problems in itself. And to look at both these quarterbacks as a, as a whole from their skill set, Cade McNamara is the proven leader. Not that, KG, not that J.J. McCarthy isn't a leader, but Cade McNamara was named a captain, a guy they're going to look to to really steer the ship, set the tempo, and obviously important at the quarterback position to have that leadership. But Cade McNamara is a guy who got them over the hump, won the Big Ten championship, got him to the college football playoff. And I think for him, similar to what we talked about with A&M and Max Johnson and Haynes King, Cade McNamara is that high floor guy. At the end of the day, you know he's not going to crash the car. Now, will you win a lot of games because of him? I don't know. Didn't really feel that way a season ago. It wasn't like he was the driving force behind a lot of their big-time wins. A lot of that was credit to the defense. And Caden McNamara just knowing his role, managing the game, managing the offense, making the throws he needed to make. That's what I think you get with Caden McNamara. And I don't think it can be overstated, the leadership component. To know that your quarterback is not just your quarterback, but also the guy, to be the quarterback and be to, to be the guy are two very different things. And I think Cade McNamara has solidified his place as the guy for this Michigan football team. Now, the temptation for Michigan is to look at J.J. McCarthy and say, whoa, dude has an arm. Dude offers a whole new element to this offense that we haven't really seen at Michigan in a minute. And we say it all the time here, the whole pro day scenario. If you put Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy out there in a pro day, J.J. McCarthy probably dominates. Probably a bigger arm. Might be a touch less accurate, but probably looks the best in agilities. He offers a whole new element with his legs and running the football, which we may see even if Cade McNamara is the guy. But J.J. McCarthy offers a lot of excitement and a lot of, whoa, what if? What if we had him there? And some of what Michigan does in 2022, I think, may be dictated by, okay, what do we need on offense? Sort of the whole algebra equation. We have the answer. We know we need to score 30 a game. Let's work backwards for why. Again, that's an example. If we do need to score 30 a game, what do we need at quarterback? And with all that they lost on defense, 
that equation, that end result of what you need to solve for could look a little bit different. Because last year, you were okay having a game manager in Cade McNamara because you had two NFL caliber players on the outside. One of them, a Heisman Trophy finalist, Aiden Hutchinson, coming off the edge and wreaking havoc. And you were, you were okay to run the football, be physical up front, throw off play action when you had to, catch him sleeping with a deep ball here and there. That's great. That's fine. We'll work with that. Not to say they didn't score a lot of points, but the way in which they did it could look different this coming year. Is Michigan going to be a team to where they need to push the tempo and they need to beat you in a track meet because the defense is still trying to figure it out from all the pieces they lost a year ago? Or is it a, a year where, hey, we're just going to make this game long. We're going to lean on you. We got a good offensive line. We trust our backs and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. We're just going to lean on you. I think you probably see a different quarterback depending on what this offense, what this team even more so calls for in 2022. Because J.J. McCarthy, with all of that potential, they may need to score a lot of points. J.J. McCarthy feels like he gives them the chance to play that kind of wide-open style of offense they need. I will say this, though. This experiment, I don't even know if experiment's the right word, this trial for Michigan, having two quarterbacks through the first two weeks of the season, it's a luxury. I think I trust Jim Harbaugh enough to where it makes sense. But when the answer becomes clear, stick with it. When the answer becomes clear, when you know who your quarterback is, when you name a quarterback, stick with it. Because I've been in locker rooms where you have two quarterbacks or there's a quarterback battle. And it's just impossible to escape. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has some sort of feeling as to, well, hey, I think this guy gives us the best chance to win. Hey, I ran with this guy during team period, and he ran the offense really well. He actually threw me the ball, and we scored some points. I caught a touchdown from him. I think he gives us a good chance. And so to have this feeling of who's it going to be, who's it going to be, who's it going to be, stretch on too far throughout your season, I think you need to be careful of. So a word of caution. I love that he set parameters for this. Hey, by week three, we're going to have somebody. But you need to make sure you are decisive. Be decisive with whoever you pick. Again, for the record, J.J. McCarthy offers so much potential, but I have a hard time turning my back on, one, my captain in Cade McNamara, and two, the guy who has proven that he's getting us to where we ultimately have always wanted to go, won a Big Ten title. I look at that ring on my finger from Cade McNamara and say, remember this? Remember this thing? Who was your quarterback? Oh, that's right. That was me. We'll see what happens J.J. McCarthy, Cade McNamara, both elite talents. J.J. McCarthy may just offer more in terms of scoring points, but all that's to say, we're going to see how it plays out. I trust Jim Harbaugh to make the right decision. He makes a little bit more money than me to make these kind of decisions, so we'll go ahead and let him do that. But QB1 reveal season is upon us. Very much upon us. And some other battles to watch throughout the country, but how about Drake May last night looking good, huh? I know they played a lesser competitor but drake may came out slinging showed you why he was a top 50 recruit a year ago i'm excited to watch unc this year they, they may ruin a lot of people's dreams sounds dark to say but unc could play spoiler for some teams this year i'm excited to watch that we got to talk about this though this broke i think it was on friday brew mccoy 
has been ruled eligible at Tennessee. Now, if you've kept up with this story at all, it's a fascinating one. Brew McCoy has committed a lot of different places. Was at Texas for a minute, ultimately ended up playing at USC. We're not going to get into the reasoning too much, but bottom line, transfers to Tennessee. And the whole question mark was, okay, he, he transferred, but will he be eligible by the season? There was some weird song and dance going on with USC needs to sign this waiver. Well, now it's the NCAA's decision. Whose decision is it? Okay, it's on the NCAA now. They found out finally, okay, we're going to have Brew McCoy for our season opener against Ball State. And Brew McCoy, a guy who has tons of ability, was recruited as, I believe he was a five-star coming out of high school. I believe he was um, a guy who played, I mean, I know he's a guy who played both ways. He might even, I want to say he was one of the players of the year in the state of California. Don't quote me on that. But Brew McCoy, a guy who played linebacker, who played receiver, ultimately translates to receiver at the next level. And he's a guy that I think they're going to have to lean on at least a little bit at Tennessee. And it's a big deal that you get him this coming year at receiver because you lose a guy to the NFL like Bayless Jones. And we talk so much about Tennessee winning 10 games, winning nine games. I mean, you see different people in the media talking about them potentially playing spoiler against Alabama and all this, that, and the other. Well, if that's going to happen, Tennessee has got to score a lot of points and be as advertised on offense. Defense has to keep up their end of the deal. You hope, pray, and wish that they're going to end up being enough to, to get Tennessee to where they want to be defensively. But all that's to say, whatever the defense does, the offense needs to be the strength of this football team while you're waiting on that defense to get it together. And losing a guy like Bayless Jones leaves a fair amount of production to be desired or to be, I mean, to, to be fulfilled, if you will. 807 yards for Valus Jones a season ago. Hendon Hooker threw for about just a shade under 3,000. So almost 25% of his yards that he was throwing for was to a receiver that's no longer on the roster. So entering Brew McCoy, a guy who is freakishly talented, a guy who is really highly recruited like we talked about, but really we haven't seen him put it together for a full season just yet. A guy who we're still waiting for him to have that aha light bulb moment. And Josh Heupel's offense, really quarterback friendly, really wide receiver friendly, really production friendly for both those parties. This could be the situation where he does it. But for Tennessee to get to where they want to go, I've said it before on this show, you got to have more than just Cedric Tillman. You got to have more than just wide receiver one. Because he is a phenomenal talent. There's going to be games where he takes over and he just is winning his matchup. He's beating that DB like a drum. It's game over for everybody else because Cedric Tillman has the game of his life that night. That might be the case some nights. However, they're going to play some of this stiffer competition and they're going to play some defensive coordinators that say, you know what? If you beat us, it's not going to be with Cedric Tillman. If you beat us, it's not going to be with him. We're just going to take him away. Beat us some other way. If you win some other way, so be it. But it's not going to be with Tillman. Obviously, you bring back the leading rusher from a year ago and Jabari Small. But you look at these teams that make the deep runs into the post, not postseason so much. But I mean, we'll talk about postseason college football playoff. Alabama last year had Jamison Williams, had John Mechie. John Mechie obviously getting hurt in the SEC title game. But what happened when they lost their deep threat in Jamison Williams in that national title game? Alabama lost their vertical presence. 
They had one wide receiver to go to. They no longer have that. They became virtually one-dimensional. That can't be Tennessee's story because there's going to be times where they take away Cedric Tillman. So going back to that example with Alabama, if they had had John Mechie in that title game, well, then it goes back to, okay, I know Jamison Williams got hurt in that title game, so maybe this is a poor example in general, but having two wide receivers for Alabama would have changed the game. For Tennessee, having two wide receivers will change the game. Having two options that you have to honor in the pass game is going to be crucial for them to get to where they're capable of going. Because Hendon Hooker is eyeing a dark horse Heisman Trophy run. Tennessee is eyeing a dark horse SEC title appearance. Talk about that as you want to talk about that. But if they're going to do that, they're going to ask Brew McCoy to be productive. They're going to ask him to pick up some of that production that Bayless Jones ultimately left behind. And so I think the thesis here is got to be able to spread the ball around. Cedric Tillman's great. Jabari Small is great. Brew McCoy got to be able to spread the ball around. So the best case scenario for Brew McCoy is he surpasses that production, right? Let's say he puts it together with his physical ability. They go over a thousand yards receiving for him and Cedric Tillman has his own a thousand yards receiving and they find a way to surpass everybody's expectations and they do big things and everyone's happy in, in Knoxville. I think fortunately for Tennessee, I think the floor is still relatively high for Brew McCoy. At the very least, you have someone who's going to be marginally productive. Maybe he has a three, 400 yard season. Even less than that, he's going to be somebody that adds physicality to the outside. When you throw those bubble screens, when you throw those swing routes to your running back and get them in space, you have a guy who, again, was formerly a linebacker at the high school level, was recruited really highly as a linebacker, and he's now playing receiver for you. He can bully some of these DBs. We had some people out at the Tennessee uh, scrimmage this past fall camp, and they talked about, yeah, Brew McCoy's still a work in progress. He's still probably getting his feet underneath him. But boy, he was bullying some of those DBs physically. At the very least, that's what he brings to the table for Tennessee. So again, Brew McCoy has got to be a guy for them. They got to have somebody else pick up the production for them at Tennessee to get to where they want to go, to get Hennon Hooker to where he wants to go. It doesn't have to just be Brew McCoy, but he has to be an option for them. Have to have a solid wide receiver too for Tennessee because they have a lot of things in front of them. There's a lot of excitement in the Hypel era. Brew McCoy, got to be a piece, but again, he is eligible for Tennessee and that's big news. That's good news for everybody in Knoxville. Golly, I'm so happy that we have football back, man. I'm so happy we can sit right. I mean, we, we can sit down right here and have a conversation back and forth about the game that you love and that I love. I am so happy that we are back. And week zero, as phenomenal as it is to have college football back, week one's going to be the entree. Week zero is kind of the appetizer. You got Nebraska Northwestern. It was in Ireland. You got Vanderbilt. Roll doors. Got it done in Hawaii. That was a game that some people were watching late into the night. Yours truly was included in that watching into the night. Again, North Carolina putting on a show. Florida State. Again, lesser competition, but they looked clean. They did what they were supposed to do in a weather delay. We just got the appetizer, folks. Week one is going to be the full, the full three-course meal. We're going to break down all of it here on the hard count, on our Wednesday show. So we're going to preview Georgia-Oregon. We're going to preview Ohio State-Notre Dame. We're going to preview, I'm sure, a myriad of other games. This is the people's show. We want you a part of this. 
as much as possible. So we're jumping on spaces on Tuesday and Saturdays. We are, obviously, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, at JD Piquel. Hit me in my DMs, tweet at me. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a dialogue. That's what makes this fun, this back and forth, this community. That's what we love this for. Now, we're on podcast. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast, we got you covered. Nick Brake is throwing it in your feed. It should be in there, I would imagine, for drive time. Check that out. It's another great way for us to be involved and for us to have a medium. Leave a five-star review. Give us a question. We'll do our best to get to it. Okay, so very, very important that we're tuned in there on podcasts, on social channels. Golly, football is back. Chomping at the bit. But that's it for us here on The Hard Count. We appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. This train is leaving the station and the party is rolling. So we're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.